as you're coming and grab, come and grab a seat, uh, just a reminder, uh, Steve and Christy Skiba had their baby last week, really excited, uh, uh, a new child, a daughter, um, everything's going well. Um, if you're interested in providing a meal for them, uh, we have a meal train set up, you can talk to Ali Slyke, um, but uh, yeah, they, their baby's a week old, born last Saturday, um, so keep them in your prayers, this is their second child, um, and uh, we're excited for them. Uh, but we're going to start today in Acts chapter 1, and I want to draw your attention to a unique detail that I came across. And you might find it strange that if we're doing a Christmas series and a Christmas sermon that we would start in Acts chapter 1, because Acts chapter 1 covers uh, kind of the last day of Jesus' physical life on earth. And so it's interesting to start there. Uh, Jesus, this is after he, he dies on the cross for our sins. He rises from the dead, conquering death. And he, sent, he ascends into heaven. And his disciples are kind of left waiting and thinking, like, what's next? And um, this, uh, this is the passage in Acts 1, uh, starting in, in verse 12. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James and Simon and Judas and James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I read that and I came across this little detail that Mary was there. The new church, after Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples are trying to figure out what to do, Mary's present. She's with them. Uh, the, the mother of Jesus was a part of the early church. Sometimes we kind of forget that her story doesn't just end when Jesus kind of sort of ends, that she's actually with the disciples and with these, these new churches that are going out into all the world. And, and I think that's interesting because when we think about the gospel stories and we think about the story of Jesus' birth, uh, we have the story of, of how Mary finds out she's pregnant. And she has spent significant time with the early church. And, and this passage right here was written by this man named Luke. And we've been in the gospel of Luke that's telling this Christmas story. And, and you have to think that Luke isn't just telling the story, but, but he's telling the story from the perspective of these eyewitnesses. Not just eyewitnesses, the people that actually experienced the stories. They lived it. Some uh, scholars and historians think that you know, Mary ends up kind of moving further north up into Ephesus and had spent some time with the early church up there. And Luke may have been writing this gospel from that location and, 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 and probably knew who Mary was. They probably were friends. They probably did life together. They were living in community. And when Luke decides to write this account of Jesus's life, we're reminded that Mary is probably a part of putting the story together. And I like to think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they, they sat down over coffee one day and Luke was like, tell me what happened. Or maybe Mary was like, boy, do I have a story for you. Here's what really happened. And as we approach these gospel stories, we're reminded that, that someone like Mary probably is telling the story of exactly what she experienced. And so as we open up to Luke chapter 1 today, we keep this in mind that, that this is Mary's story. And she probably told it to Luke, who was able to, to write it down uh, for us to have it today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll start there. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember last week we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel said to, uh, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, like you do if you're an angel. And can't imagine what that would have been like for Mary. Well, we find out that she's greatly troubled. Mary was greatly troubled and at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and his reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of, the, of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town uh, in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? And as soon as she... As the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would be fulfill his promises to her. It's an interesting story. It's a story that we might be familiar with, and sometimes we forget the details of this story. Uh, we forget how, uh, how radical and overwhelming and scary this would have been for Mary. Most of the images we have of Mary, uh, are, you know, we have uh, pictures of her always seem to be you know, a woman who's maybe in her middle age. And we forget that this was, this was a young girl. Uh, if she's, uh, she's betrothed to Joseph, she's still a virgin, she's probably a young teenager. Um, it, it would have been absolutely frightening to receive this message. Um, the kids are super loud today. I, mean, <laughs> I hope that's the kids and not the uh, But it would have been absolutely terrifying uh, for, for Mary uh, to receive this message from this angel. And when you think about some of the details of this story, it's similar to last week's story, right, with, with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah gets this message from God. The angel shows up. The angel says, do not be afraid. The angel says, here's what's going to happen. Zechariah goes, how can this happen? We're barren. We haven't been able to have a child. We haven't been able to conceive. The angel says, God's going to do something. He's going to open up your womb. You're going to have a child. And Zechariah goes, okay. Um, and and, and the, it's almost like this echo of the Old Testament barren stories, uh, but now we have Mary, the same thing happens. Gabriel shows up and says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a baby. She says, how is that possible? I'm a virgin. He says, here's how it's going to happen. And, and it just seems improbable. The whole thing seems very, very improbable. And what we find is that what's interesting about that is this is, this is the best plan God has ever had. He's coming into the world in the form of Jesus to save the world He's coming to bring salvation. This is the greatest story ever had, the, the greatest plan to ever be hatched. And when it's first heard and when it's first received, it's received with all sorts of confusion and doubt and fear. 
And, and it tells us something about how God works. I mean, if this was the best plan that God has ever hatched, and it's received this way, you start to wonder, when God is on the move, when God is working in your life, when God is doing something through you, it may not make sense at the time. In in fact, it might be initially met with fear, with wonder, with confusion. And the greatest plan that, that God puts in place is met that way. How could this be? God opens a barren womb. God gives... uh conceives a a woman who is a virgin. There's something miraculous that happens, and God's ways are not our ways. And this greatest story that's ever told happens in a way that is so unconventional. The people, when when they receive it, they're just like, what? How could that be? That's not possible. And God moves. God's best came through a plan that caused all sorts of doubts and questions. And Mary's response is something I think that we, we can learn from. And when you think about Mary, how young she is, uh, and, and the way that she responds, um, I, I think there, there's something about that, that that reminds us that when God works in our lives, he doesn't just always look for the most talented, the most successful, the people that we would usually choose to accomplish some great work. He works for those who are willing, those who are humble of heart to receive the call. Mary when she receives this call full of doubt, full of fear, uh, the first thing that she does is she gave her fear to God. She gave her fear to God. I can't imagine what this would have been like for her to receive this. Uh, A couple things to note is this environment that she receives the call in. It says that she's up uh, in Galilee and Nazareth. Last week we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth. When When Gabriel shows up for them, they're in the temple. They're in like the the holy place where God's presence is supposed to reside. Mary's out kind of in this small town way up in the north in Galilee. And the angel shows up. And what's interesting is she's in this small town um, that that a lot of uh, people don't really think highly of. There was already kind of this disdain for for our people that are from up in that area. Uh, In in John chapter 1, in verse 46, when Jesus is gathering his disciples, and, and Nathaniel hears about it. He goes, this guy's from Nazareth. What good thing can come from Nazareth? Like, that, like from there, I hope he doesn't have, like, a rash. Like, why is he, you know? And, and then in John chapter 7, uh, it says, uh, talks about Nazareth. says, that's not where important people come from. And so Mary is coming from this place, not like with Zechariah and Elizabeth, where they're in the temple, they're in this place where God's supposed to show up. She's in a place where it's just out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere. She's insignificant. Nothing important comes from there. Nothing important happens. And this angel shows up. And then there's this unexpected statement. The angel says, you who are highly favored, the graced one, the Lord is with you. Like, these are like formal greetings. And, and we don't really have like formal greetings, but if someone really important comes, uh, you're probably going to address that person much differently than, you know, if it's someone who's familiar. And this is a super formal and important greeting for Mary. This idea of being highly favored and the graced one and the Lord is with you. And what's, what's true of this is that she's probably never received a greeting like this from anybody in her life. She's this young, insignificant girl. And all of a sudden, this this angel shows up and says, you who are highly favored. Can't imagine what would go through her mind uh, to receive such a thing. Like her, we we, we know with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is, she comes from a priestly line. 
Zachariah is a priest. Mary's a peasant. We know she's betrothed to, uh, to a carpenter, to Joseph. They're, they're not, they don't have, the, they're, they're lower on the social ladder than what Elizabeth and Zechariah are. And yet she receives this, this call, this, you who are highly favored and the graced one. What we find is that her status doesn't matter. God chooses her and her identity is wrapped up in being chosen by God, not her own social status. To receive such a call, I think, would be, would be terrifying for her. And we find that, we know that she's terrified because it says she's greatly troubled. The angel shows up, and it sounds like the angel's like super optimistic, right? Like, hey, hey, highly favored. This, this is great, and, and I'm, I'm so excited to meet you, and, and here we go. And, and she receives that and is like, what in the world? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something right? Did they have the right person? And it says that she's troubled. Kind of reading what this word troubled means, it, it literally, uh, it, it's, it means something to, to, to stir or agitate or churn water. So it's like something in her psyche, something in her soul feels like it's being churned and shaken up. And it says that she's troubled. Like I think we all would be if an angel appeared. She would ask all sorts of questions, but then the angel has this response. The angel says, fear not. It's like the angel probably sees her face and is like, hey, chosen one, so good to see you. Oh, but, but fear not. Last week, the angel says to Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And there's something very comforting about this idea that in the midst of this wild experience where the angel shows up, where she's overwhelmed and wondering, why in the world is this angel appearing to me? The angel says, fear not. In the midst of her fear, she's able to just turn that over to God. And what we find is that there's peace that comes in the story for Mary as the angel starts to explain what's happening. Last week we talked about when Jesus comes into the world, there's this wonder of hope. There's this situation of absolute despair with Elizabeth and Zechariah, and hope comes into the story. When we see Mary's story, what we find is there's a, a situation of, of, of fear and uncertainty. And over and over again, we'll find in the story that, that there's this wonder of peace to fear not. You have this calling on your life. You don't understand it. You're not sure of what these circumstances are going to be. But Jesus is coming into the world. The old uh, hymnist Charles Wesley wrote this about Jesus. This old hymn called, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. It says, Jesus, the name that calms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. Jesus is coming into the world. Mary's troubled by it. And the angel says, don't fear. The second thing, Mary gave her frailty to God. Her frailty to God. When you think about who Mary is, she's this young, young girl. Um, our daughter Sophia uh, has just recently turned 12. And what's crazy to me is when you kind of like study like who Mary is, she, she's probably closer to Sophia's age than closer to my wife's age. And my wife's still young and beautiful. Um, <laughs> But now, like, having a, a daughter that's about to turn this corner and become a teenager, and you start to realize Mary's probably a little bit older than her when she receives this call, like, the, the frailty of this. And, and, and she's betrothed to be married, but this probably changes things, right? Uh, to receive a, a message like this, like, you're going to have a baby, 
And her thought is like, but I'm, I'm a virgin. I, how is that possible? And she questions it. She asks the question thinking, how can this be? And what we find is, you know, this is a similar question that what Zachariah asked when the angel appears to him. Uh, but I think that this comes from a different place. Zachariah's place comes from, like, I don't believe you. It's almost like this antagonistic, like, what? That's not, how could that be? Mary seems to come, like, from this place of humility. And we know that because the angel responds differently to, to Mary than he does to Zachariah. And I think that, that Mary's, Mary's uh, question comes from this, if that's possible, please explain to me how this is going to, be, going to, hap- going to happen as a virgin. It's interesting, this, this virgin birth. Um, here's, what, here's what I believe about this. We live in this world where, where science has to answer everything. We live in this materialistic world. It's a digital world now. But as followers of Jesus, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. We believe in this thing of resurrection, that something miraculous happened and broke through our physical world, that there's this spiritual realm that we're a part of, and we don't necessarily understand it. But if we believe in the resurrection, what it means is that we believe that anything can happen. And I think that throughout Scripture, we see these miraculous things that happen that remind us that there's this sovereign God, this spiritual realm, this God that is in control that is breaking through our physical world with miraculous ways. And here we see it again, this, this virgin birth. God still works in miraculous ways, and sometimes we forget that because we're so caught up in the physical and the here and now, and we, we lose the wonder of the story. We, work, we, we, we live with this God who works miracles. And we see this with the virgin birth she conceives. And then it's interesting it says that she was troubled by it, but it also says she wondered about how this is all happening. Her heart was filled with wonder, and, and wonder is kind of this idea of going back and forth and uh, when you're eva- evaluating how can this be, and, and it leads to this uh, confused conclusion of what God's doing in her life. And I think it's okay to be there, a confused conclu- conclusion of how God's working. I don't know how God's working, but I know he's working. I don't know exactly all all the answers to to how this is going to happen, but I know that God is with it. And there's this sense of wonder that brings about peace because we know God is working. And I say that about prayer sometimes. I don't know how prayer works, but I know that prayer works. I don't know how God's, his ways always seem unconventional. And yet when Jesus shows up and God is with us, there's peace in the midst of the confusion. There's a wonder of peace that comes. You've heard the idea that peace that passes understanding comes into our life. And I think Mary starts to experience that here in the story. She gives her fear to God. She gives her frailty to God. In the midst of wonder, in the midst of this uncertainty, she has this uncertain conclusion that God is with her, that God is doing something. The angel gives her an explanation that God has the plan, and here's how it's going to happen, and she's going to give birth to Jesus, and and Jesus is going to be uh, the, the son of God. He's going to be the savior. His name will be great. He's going to do all these things. And what we find is that the miracle is going to happen in Mary's life by God's glory, by God's ability. It's not based on Mary's ability. And the miracle is going to happen for God's glory and for God's acclaim. And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her, come to her life, and overshadow her. 
And I think what we find about that, what is interesting, is that this is how the Holy Spirit works. When the Holy Spirit comes to us, all of a sudden, we're able to do things that we would never be able to do by ourselves. Our own physical limitations, our own, uh, our, our own, uh, all of our limitations. We're not worthy, we're not adequate, we're not able to do it, and yet the Holy Spirit empowers his people to do great things. And this is like the extreme of it. From this young teenage girl that's a virgin, she's going to give birth to the Savior of the universe. We're filled with wonder of how God works. But in our frailty and in our weakness, when we are willing to let God come into our life, what we find is that God will work for his purposes through us in ways that don't make sense. Mary gives her fear and her frailty to God, and the Holy Spirit moves in her life. And then the, the angel gives her an example that, that God has proof that this is really going to happen. And I think she finds peace in this. And he tells her about Elizabeth. And God says, go see Elizabeth. And she does. And, and, and what we find is that Elizabeth, uh, she realizes that Elizabeth is pregnant too, just like the angel said. As Mary approaches this story going forward, she also gives her future to God. These all start with the letter F, by the way, because I'm a pastor and it's easy to remember but her fear, her frailty, and now her future. She gives her future to God. You notice that the acceptance of this, when she's given this call, there's this kind of uncertainty, this uncertain conclusion of, okay, God's in it. God's doing something. He's working in me. And her response is this. I am your servant, Lord. I'm your servant. Do what you need to in me and through me, and I am willing to be your servant here and now. There's something that is super humbling about that for her to say. Whatever my future is, I don't, I don't understand. This, this, this calling has been placed on my life. You want to do something through me. And I don't know what that's going to look like or how much that's going to change the trajectory of my life, but I'm willing, Lord, to be used by you, to be your servant. When you think about how, how uh, confusing this, this situation would be for Mary, the uncertainty of having a baby, how Joseph's going to respond, how Joseph's parents are going to respond, uh, maybe how other women in the community are going to respond. Because with Elizabeth's story, Elizabeth is this woman who's been barren, and she's been crying out for God to do something. And, and we looked, talked last week about in that culture, how it would be something that almost um, it isn't something that they would be ashamed of, but it would be something like, why hasn't God done this in our lives? And then when God allows her to get pregnant, it's like this restoration for their story. This thing they've been longing for is finally fulfilled. And, and the whole community would celebrate Elizabeth, that she's finally pregnant. But with Mary, when the news starts to break about what's happening with her, there would probably be a very different reaction from the community. Wait, what? You're, you're What? I can't imagine the confusion, the things that would be said about her, how people would respond. And yet Mary finds peace in her future because she knows that God is with her. She accepts it and says, Lord, I am your servant. No matter how this changes my trajectory, this is a call that you've placed on my life. No matter what people think about me, no matter what this, I am, I am willing, Lord, work in me. I wonder if you've ever come to this statement in your own life to say, Lord, I'm your servant. 
Have you ever sat down and just said, Lord, use me how you will. I am willing. I accept the call. No matter the uncertainty of the future, no matter what's said about me, Lord, I'm willing to be your servant. There's this element of surrender in Mary. They said, this sounds confusing to everyone else around me, but Lord, you're in it, and so I'm willing. And then what we find is that Mary hastily goes and sees Elizabeth. And you have to wonder the uncertainty of her of how are people going to respond to this, especially like my family, those close to me, um, the idea that I'm going to be pregnant. And, and I think like the, the, the angel knows like what Mary needs and leads her to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's response would have brought so much encouragement and confirmation that what she's doing is okay. She's, she doesn't receive judgment from Elizabeth. Um, and she says, Elizabeth, the, the baby inside of me leaped for joy when it heard this news. And I can't imagine how much peace that would bring Mary to know. Elizabeth's with me in this. Her future she entrusted to God. She says, Lord, whatever you need me to do, I'm willing to do. And here we find her receiving peace again. This Christmas story, last week we talked about the situation of despair that is met with hope. This week, this Christmas story reminds us that we, we live in a place of fear, frailty, uncertainty about the future. And yet when Jesus enters the story, the story of our life, the story of our world, there's this peace that comes that passes understanding. And maybe today this peace is something that just needs to invade your soul as we head towards Christmas. This reminder that God is with us. There's kind of this uh, uncertainty of, of how God is with us or what he's doing, but God is with us and God is with you. Jesus has come into the world to bring peace the Prince of Peace, the wonder of his peace comes into our soul, into our heart. Tim's going to come back up and we're going to close with a song that reminds us of, as we look forward to the Savior coming to the world, the peace that comes with it. And we close each week with this sacred uh, act of taking communion together. And communion represents the Christmas story, the incarnation God coming into the world in flesh and blood. We take a piece of bread and we break it open and it reminds us of what Jesus does on the cross. And we take a cup of juice and we, we drink it and it reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. That with the breaking open of his body and the pouring out of his blood, uh, we receive uh, forgiveness of sins. We are reminded that there's the sovereign God that is in control of our life in the midst of all the things that we're fearful of. In the midst of all the uncertainty, the troubled things inside of our soul, God is with us. And we take this communion as a, an act of remembrance and an act of thankfulness. And maybe today you need to come to the table and maybe there's something in your soul that is just troubled. And it feels like the water has been stirred up and churning. And you just seem to say, Lord, I just need peace today. That your peace would just meet me here. The things that I'm fearful for the things that I feel frail about, the things that I feel uncertain with my future, Lord, that I would experience your peace today. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for these old stories. And we sit in wonder of, of how you work in this world. We're reminded that it's so unconventional. It doesn't always make sense. And yet you 
are at work because you're sovereign. And Lord, today I just pray that as we consider our present circumstances, there's many of us that are dealing with fear, of frailty, of an uncertain future. And we're reminded that you came into this world, Lord, to give us life, to give us freedom, to allow us to experience your peace. We're reminded, Lord, that we're a part of the story of eternity, that what we see here in the present world and the physical isn't everything. It's not all that there is, Lord. There's something so much more going on here. In these stories, we see how eternity breaks into the present moment in miraculous ways, Lord. And we just ask that you would continue to do that in our lives. That you would meet us here today with your peace. That you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us. That you'd pour life into us. And maybe, Lord, today we just need to come to you and say, we are your servant. Work in us as you will for your glory. It's in your son's name we pray.